Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Good morning, church. My name is Shelby, and I'm going to be reading from Genesis 24, verses 1 through 9, 58, and 61 through 67. And when I finish reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and please respond with thanks be to God. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Verse 58, and they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. Then Rebekah and her young woman arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Bir Lahavoy and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to New King Church. So glad you're here today. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. And if I haven't met you, please say hello on the way out. I'd love to meet you. We are uh, back in um, in our sermon series on Genesis. And we are looking at this story the longest narrative in, uh, in Genesis, 67 verses, in which uh, there's a bride for Isaac, and her name is Rebecca. And um, what I want to focus on in this uh, sermon is how to know God's will for your life. How do you figure that out? Very practical, very simple message. And we know in the life of uh, Abraham, he had visions. God spoke to him eight separate times and told him exactly what he was supposed to do. And you and I, we kind of wish that God would make it that easy for us, that we would have a vision, there'd be a miracle, there'd be lights in the sky, and God would tell us, here's the house I want you to buy, here's the job I want you to take, here's the person I want you to marry. But for most of us, and God does do that, right? You guys with me? God does do that. But for most of us, most of the time, the miraculous doesn't happen. And we go about our lives day by day, week by week, month by month, trying to discern, trying to figure out, what does God have for me? And so as this long chapter unfolds, We see that God doesn't speak in this chapter. There is no miracle that's done. The sea isn't parted. The sun doesn't stop. None of that stuff happens. Yet, 
there's a bride obtained for Isaac. So God's hand is in it. So I'm going to talk about God's will for our life. At the end, I'm going to give you four principles for determining that from this very chapter. Okay, you guys with me? Okay. First service was a little quiet. I'm hoping you guys interact a little more. A little amen, a little shout, you know. Go for it. That's what I'm looking for, brother. Thank you. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, quiet our hearts now as we look at this ancient story from the life of Abraham and Isaac. Uh, Father, help us to see how your hand guides and help us to see more of who you are and how you work. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This chapter is a transition chapter. It's transitioning from the life of Abraham to the life of Isaac. And this transition actually takes place through two chapters. 23 is a funeral. 24 is a wedding. What better way? The two most important events in life. So in order for us to understand where we are, i got to have to make a couple of comments on chapter 23. I know you probably haven't read it this morning. I'm sure you read 24 in preparation. So 23, we see that Sarah dies. The matriarch, the wife of Abraham, dies. And it just takes two verses to describe it. So she dies. The rest of the chapter is all about Abraham negotiating a piece of land to bury her. He is really concerned about this. And again, in this chapter, there's no miracle. God doesn't speak. There's nothing out of ordinary. All the molecules stay where they belong. No miracle. But Abraham goes... And the whole chapter is about him negotiating to buy this piece of land. Why? Who cares? It's really important. They, he negotiates with the Hittites. And the Hittites say, well, you can have a tomb. We'll give you a tomb. No problem. Well, a tomb is a temporary place. It didn't really belong to the person. It was only temporary. And actually, the bones were often taken out and buried somewhere else. It was only temporary. Abraham says, no, I don't want something temporary. I want something permanent. I want a piece of the promised land. It's all about the land, you see. It's all about the land. And so he negotiates, and in front of everybody, with witnesses, at the gate of the city, in the most legal way possible, he purchases a piece of the promised land. That's the start of the promised land. He possesses it. The same words are used as in the promise, in the covenant. You're going to possess the land. Now Abraham's got a piece of land. It's the first step. And it comes up over and over and over in Genesis and in Exodus. This is the first step. So we've got it. So the land is taken care of. And now we come to chapter 24, and guess what it's about? It's about the seed. Remember Abraham, land and seed. Those were the two promises. Those were the two things that he was concerned about. So we get to chapter 24, and it's all about the seed. It's all about the family, right? That's what this is about. And it transitions to Isaac because it's about a wife for him. And as you read through the chapter, it doesn't have any miracles in it. It doesn't have any voice of God. There's no vision of God. It's normal, everyday events, and somehow a wife is obtained. What do we learn from that? That's what we're going to see this morning. There's four parts, there's four scenes to this long narrative, and I'm going to briefly look at each one. The first scene, Abraham sends the servant, verses 1 through 9. The second scene, we see the servant at the well to get the wife, and that's verses 10 through 28. And the longest scene, 
The third scene, the servant is in the house of Rebekah, and that's verses 29 through 61. And then the last scene, Isaac and Rebekah are married. And it's this, 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 like out of a movie, they see each other and they just lock eyes, and it's beautiful. That's the last scene, verses, 29, or verses 62 to 67. Okay, you with me? Scene one. Abraham sends a servant. Verse 1. Now, the word of God says, When Eric was old and advanced in years. No, no, no. When Abraham was old and advanced in years. Abraham is getting older. He's starting to worry about his son Isaac. Isaac is is like 40-something. He's like, man, we've got to get a wife for this guy. I've got to have a grandchild. The, the, the nation of Israel has got to move along here. I've got to get a, a grandson. So he gets nerved up about it, and he says, okay, I've got to do something. I've got to act, right? And so the Lord blessed Abraham in all things. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had. This was a guy in his house that was in charge of everything. Most likely, it's Eliezer of Damascus, which is named back in chapter 15. Remember, Abraham says, God, you haven't given me a son. Who's going to be my heir? I guess this dumbhead Eliezer of Damascus, he'll be my heir. And God says, no, 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 you're going to have a son. It's probably this guy. This is probably the guy. Interesting, through the whole story, he's never named. But most likely, it was this guy. And so he turns to him, his trusted servant, who he'd put in charge of everything, and he says, okay, we're going to swear an oath. This is a little funny thing here. Put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth. Put your hand under my thigh and swear. Man, there's some Old Testament things that I am just glad we don't do today. Aren't you glad? Ben says to me, hey, Eric, can you, can you preach on this Sunday? Do Genesis 24? Yeah, Ben, I can do that. Eric, put your hand under my thigh. No, Ben, I'm not doing that, right? <laughs> what did that mean? <laughs> this is getting back. What Abraham is thinking about is getting back to God's covenant where he gave them circumcision. And he says, put your hand under my thigh, near my genitals, right? The, the source of procreation. The lights are out. I shouldn't have said that. Okay. (laughs) Put your hand under there. I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about what God's already said. And this is a very dramatic, like, and and the servant does it, (laughs) right? So he says, put your hand under my thigh that I make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, that you will... And now he starts giving stipulations. You will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of Canaanites among whom I dwell. First stipulation, don't take a wife from the people here. I don't want you to do that. And then he says, I want you to go back to the homeland, to Mesopotamia, near Earl Ur of the Chaldees. I want you to go back and get a wife that's from our bloodline. That's what I want you to do. So there's that stipulation, don't take a wife from here. And he may have been thinking about the curse. Remember after the flood, uh, Noah cursed the Canaanites. So he says, don't take a wife from here, go back. And so the servant is kind of this interesting character. The servant said to him in verse five, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Second stipulation, don't take my son back there. Don't take Isaac back there. Number one, it's got to be from the bloodline, this wife. Got to be, not from the Canaanites. Number two, don't take him back. We are in the promised land. Don't take him back. We are working on God's promises. Don't take him back. This is where we are now. Servant, you go. Well, what if she won't go? Nope, don't take him back. Has to be from the bloodline. So don't dilute the bloodline. Don't take a wife from here. She might not be on the same page. Take a wife from the bloodline. Don't break Isaac back there. There might be a party. 
He might see some relatives. He might have some fun. He might be tempted to stay. This is where we're headed. Don't forget the mission. The mission, right? You will be a channel of blessing for all the nations through the bloodline and through the land. Don't forget, bloodline's going to be pure. Don't take him back, right? Don't take him back. There it is. Boom. Very simple. Those two things. And the servant says, I don't know about all this. What if she won't go? Don't take him back. Verse 7. The Lord, the God of heaven who took me from my father's house, from the land of my kindred, who spoke to me and swore to me, what is Abraham doing? He's going back to the revealed word of God. He's going back to what God spoke to him clearly. And he repeats it. To your offspring I will give this land. Then he says something interesting. He will send his angel before you. And you shall take a wife from my son from there. He'll send his angel, his angel, the angel of the Lord. He's going to send him. Why? Why did he say that? Where did that come from? Well, Abraham already knew about the angel of the Lord. Remember chapter 22, the climax of Abraham's life? Take your son, your only son, the son whom you love, take him to Mount Moriah, offer him there for a burnt offering. And he laid him on the wood, and he bound him. And he raised the knife, and who showed up? The angel of the Lord spoke. Abraham, Abraham, here am I. And stopped it. When there's a matter of life and death, when vitality of life is in question, who shows up? The angel of the Lord. Amen. Amen. The angel of the Lord shows up. A few chapters before that, uh, Hagar, uh, she, she um, in chapter 21, Hagar and Ishmael, they're, they're sent off. They're near death. They're dying of thirst. Hagar looks and she says, I can't bear to watch my baby die of thirst. And she turns her head. Who shows up? The angel of the Lord shows up and blesses her and gives her water. When it's a matter of life and death, when the very vitality of life is at stake, the angel of the Lord shows up. Why now? Well, Abraham had already lo- almost lost his son once, Genesis 22, angel of the Lord shows up. He's worried about the vitality. He's wor- this is a life and death thing to him. I've got to do what the Lord wants me to do. The angel of the Lord will go ahead. He will work it out. I think that's what that means. And I think it's beautiful because he had experience with it. He knew that God would go before in the person of the angel of the Lord. But, verse 8, if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine, only you must not take my son back there. If she's not willing. What's going on here? Abraham is saying this. Don't miss this. I know what God's mission is for me. I know what he wants me to do. It has to do with the land and the seed. But the details of how to work that out, he hasn't told me. And okay, we're going to do something. We're going to act. I'm going to send my servant. I'm going to get this a person for, for, my, for my son Isaac. I'm going to get a wife. But if it doesn't happen to be her, okay, I can go with that. It's okay. I don't know the details. I can, I can adjust. I can go with that. And so the servant puts his hand under the thigh, swears, and that's the end of scene one. Now, scene two. The servant took ten of the master's camels, this is verse 10, and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. This is a journey of several hundred miles over a period of a few weeks. And all it mentions is just in passing, just a verse, just a short description about that. The author is not concerned about the journey. So when you read scripture, you say, what's the emphasis, what's not the emphasis? The emphasis is not the journey. The the emphasis is on what happens when he gets there. And that's how this next scene unfolds. What does he do when he gets there? So it takes a few weeks, maybe a few months. He finally gets there with all his gifts. 
and verse 11. He made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of the evening, the time when the women go to water. What did the servant want to get? Not a hard question. What was he there for? What was the mission? Get a wife. Where did he go? He went to where the girls are. <laughs> Didn't he? He, he, he? he goes to this well on the outside of the city. He goes at the right time when the ladies are going to come to draw water. He makes the camels all kneel down to draw attention. I mean, this is a big deal, ten camels. He goes to where the girls are. He doesn't say, well, I'm going to sit off in the, des- in the desert and wait for God to do a big miracle. I'm not going to do that, he says. I am going to go to a location where, that makes sense. He goes to where the girls are. He doesn't want the miracle. He just says, I'm going to go where normally there are young ladies, probably unmarried ones. I'm going to increase my chances. I'm going to do what makes sense. Yeah, I'm going to go to where the girls are. My wife says I'm going to get in trouble by saying that, but whatever. And then what does he do? Verse 12, look at this. This servant is a beautiful man. What does he do? He prays. He prays. He said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today. I know what my mission is. I don't know how it's going to work out. I depend upon you. I put my, myself in your hands. I want to have success. Give me success today. And plus, he knows who this God is. Show steadfast love. Who is God? He's a God of love. Show steadfast love to your servant Abraham. Beautiful prayer. The first prayer in the Old Testament, the first prayer in in, in Scripture where somebody prays for guidance. Here it is. He goes to where the girls are. He prays, oh Lord, give me success. You're a God of love. Then he says, verse 13, behold. Hey, God, look. Look at where I am. I am where the girls are. I am here. This is where the spring of water is. I'm standing by the spring. The camels are lined up. It's it's the evening. It's time for people to draw water. Here I am, Lord. Give me success. Isn't that beautiful? Here I am. Give me success. I've done my part. I've gone to where my chances are pretty good. But then he puts a stipulation in verse 14. Let the young woman to whom I say, please let your jar... Let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. What does he ask for? A miracle? No! Something commonplace. He knows that the customs of the land, if a woman sees a man there, she is going to say, I'll get water for you. This is how it worked. This was the the customs of the day. And she would probably, most likely say, okay, I'll water your camels too. This was how it worked. He didn't ask for the sun to stop in the sky. He didn't ask her to come and say, hey, uh, God has told me that I am supposed to be the bride for Rebecca or for Isaac. He didn't say any of that. He used common, everyday, customary things to determine. That's very interesting. He didn't ask for a miracle. Whoever comes, gives me a drink and waters the camels, okay. All right. Verse 15. He's praying, right? This is a prayer. Before he had finished speaking, behold, it says. When it says behold in the Bible, you know what you do? You say, behold. Say it with me. Behold. Rebecca shows up. Do you get that? She had left the house before he even started his prayer. She had gotten there before. God's hand is in the details. Right? God's hand is in the details. He didn't know. He went to where the girls are. He did all the right things. He prayed to God. Before he finished, behold, there she is. 
the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother. She came with a water jar. What's she doing there? <laughs> it's time to get the water. That's where the servant was. Okay. Um, verse 16, she was very attractive in appearance, a maiden, no man had known. She went down to the spring. So I guess there was a couple of steps down to the spring. She filled her water jar up. Then the servant ran to meet her. He didn't just sit back over, you know, behind the camels, hiding to see if she would seek him out. No, he goes to where she is. He walks right up. He runs to her, right? He makes something happen. Please give me a little water to drink from your jar, he says. And she says, drink, my lord. So, look, 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 down it goes. She quickly let down the jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. What's going to happen? Is she going to water the camels too? Huh? Read on. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she does it. She waters the camels. Verse 21, the man gazed at her in silence. And now he was waiting to learn if the Lord had truly prospered. So some people say, if you read in commentaries, they'll say, well, 10 camels, okay, 10. A camel can drink 25 gallons of water. So 10 times 25, 250 gallons. Turns out that's about a ton, about 2,000 pounds of water. And she probably had to make 70 or 80 trips down. And, and commentators say, look, this is a miracle that she did all that. The text doesn't really say that. It doesn't say that they were completely out of water. It doesn't say that they needed to drink all 25 gallons. The text just says, yeah, she went down and got some water, put it in the trough, and they drank. I don't think it was a miracle at all. In fact, I think this was the normal, everyday occurrence of circumstances in the life that those people lived and the customs of the day that God used that's all it was. It wasn't a miracle in any way. I don't see the miracle here. I see it as very, very normal. In fact, the servant would have been pretty stupid to keep his camels from water all that time. There are other wells. Why not use them? Okay, where on earth am I? I think I'm on page two. Okay, now... Now the next question is, is she kin? So she's done the first part, first problem solved. She, she waters the camels, right? Is she kin? So down in uh, verse 22, when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring, a bunch of, bunch of presents for her, all kinds of gold shekels. Verse 23, please tell me who daughter, whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house? I am the daughter of Bethuel. Abraham's brother's granddaughter. She's kin. Next problem solved. She's kin. First problem, will she water the camel? Next, she's kin. She is kin. She's kin. Problem resolved. So what do we see in all this? The servant does something. He goes. He goes to a likely place. He doesn't ask for a miracle. He prays that God would give him success. And he's guided by normal, everyday, unremarkable events. Scene three, in the house. They go to the house. And scene three is the longest, 29 through 61. They're in the house, and it's all narrative. If you read through it, it's all dialogue. The servant goes in the house, and... Laban says, I want to feed you. I want to give you some food to eat. It's time for us to eat. Verse 33, food was set before him to eat. And the servant says, don't miss this. I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. So Laban says, speak on. Why does he do this? This is important. He wants to rehearse everything. And the rest of this section is him telling every single detail. I went, I prayed, I went to where the girls are, I prayed to God, Rebecca shows up, I said, will you water the, she watered the camels. He rehearses 
everything in great detail. He lays it all out. It's dialogue. He lays it out. He tells everything that happened, all the circumstances. And then at the end of it, verse 49, now then, if you're going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me. What are you going to do? He says to Laban, tell me. Okay, I've laid this all out for you. What are you going to do now? Tell me. And I'll turn to the right or the left. I'll go another way. Two things have happened that confirm it. But now, is she going to be able to go with him? Tell me. And what does Laban reply? Verse 50. The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. The thing is from the Lord. They have a long dialogue. He rehearses every single detail. He says, this is what happened, and this is what happened, and then this happened, and then that happened. What do you think? Is this from God? And Laban says, yeah, it is. Behold, take Rebekah. And then, the next question, will she go? Will she even go? That's down in verse uh, 58. They called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will. I will go with him. I will be part of this. I'm going to go. A beautiful story. Just beautiful story. And that ends scene three. Scene four is the meeting. Verse uh, 63. Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. Oh, he lifted up his eyes. And he sees the camels coming. And Rebecca lifts up her eyes. And their eyes meet. And she jumps down off the camel. And they're married. It's a beautiful story. She veils herself, right? Which is a sign that now I, this is, I'm going to be married to this man. She veils herself. It's beautiful. And she says in verse 65, who is this man? Who is this guy walking toward us in the field? And the servant said, it's my master. What? I thought his master was another guy. I thought his master was a guy named Abraham. The whole thing was servant and master, servant, Abraham and the servant, Abraham and the servant. Now, the servant says, Isaac is my master. And now you see the transition. We're transitioning to the story of Isaac. And she veils herself, and he loves her, and he brings her into the tent of Sarah, and it says he was comforted after the death of Sarah. He loves her. The marriage is consummated, brought into the house, into the tent. And now a new matriarch rises, and her name is Rebecca. And we're transferring. We're moving on to the life of Isaac. So, okay, that's the story. 67 verses. Ben says, there's no way you can get through it. Put your hand under my thigh and swear that I did. What do we learn from all this, okay? Beautiful story. If you have time, read through it. It's really, really pretty story. God's normal way of working with us is through everyday, ordinary circumstances of our lives. Yeah, 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 there are times when God can speak to us in a miraculous way and cause miracles. It happens. But normally, it's the normal everyday events of life. It's not a voice from heaven. It's not... It's not a miracle. It's not the sun standing still. It's not, the, it's not Lake Champlain parting and we walk over to Plattsburgh to preach to somebody. That hasn't happened to me for a while. Um, no miraculous healing. No rearrangement of molecules. This is called God's providence. God's providence. Yeah, Amen. It's so funny, I had someone sitting in the same spot said amen in the first service. Exactly the same thing. It's a good spot to sit. God's providence, it was his providence that put you there. 
God is, God, listen, this is what that means, God's providence. He is still in the details. He's working out the ordinary circumstances of our lives, and he's going before us. This is how God normally works. He rarely interrupts the, the normal order, the natural order of things. But what happens to us, to you and I? We look back and we say, oh my word, it's a miracle. God was working that whole time. I didn't even see it. Look at where I am today. God has brought me to this place. And he orchestrated everything. It's not till after the fact that we see it. So isn't that how it works for you? That's how it works for me most of the time. I look back at the circumstances and say, oh my word, there's the hand of God. It's a miracle. He was in the everyday, ordinary circumstances. This is God's providence for us. So, four principles Four principles, I already talked through them all. You already know them. I'm sure you could rattle them off. Number one, God's word, right? What did Abraham act upon? The revealed word of God. You are gonna be a channel of blessing for the nations through land and seed. And what did he do? He acted upon it. He took God's word seriously. He, he, he ordered his life. What about the details? He wasn't sure about the details. I guess I better get a piece of land. He got a piece of land, and it comes up again and again in Genesis and Exodus, that piece of land. I got to get a wife. I got to prolong the seed. And he did. And God provided. Remember the prayer of the servant. God was already going ahead. Before he got done, she was there. He acted on God's word. So when we go to the Bible, you and I today, 2023, we often go to the Bible with questions in our mind about things like, where, what city should I live in? Should I live in Burlington or should I move down to the wilds of Heinsburg with, with, uh, with the Clarks? And we open the scriptures and the scripture doesn't tell us exactly where to live. It doesn't give us these particular spots. Well, what house should I buy? Should I buy a house? Should I rent a house? Should I get a condo? It's not there. You don't have it. What person should I marry? doesn't give a name. If there's any Rebecca's here, watch out after this sermon. You're going to be pursued. It, it doesn't really give a name for us to, to marry somebody. It doesn't really tell us which church to attend. It doesn't give us those specific details. Well, if it doesn't give us that, what is the Bible concerned about? What is it trying to tell us? Here's what the Bible's concerned about. Do you love God with all your heart and soul and strength? Boy, there's a lot of verses about that. Open it up. You can't, it's almost on every page. Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Do you have compassion for the poor? The Bible's really, really interested in the poor and the oppressed. Do you have compassion for the poor and the oppressed? The Bible's really interested in that for your life. You want to know the will of God? Love the poor. Love God, love the poor. Are you joyful? <laughs> so many of us, as Christians, walk around like we're stuck in Genesis 23 at a funeral. Has some joy. There's verses that talk about being in the joy of the Lord. Read Philippians, every chapter, all four chapters talk about joy in Christ. Has some joy. The Bible's concerned about that, isn't it? You know that. It may not tell you which apartment to live in, but it's going to tell you to have joy. Am I living on mission? Remember that young guy with the perfect hair that was here for three weeks? Preached on mission. Been three great... Bible cares about what we're doing with our lives when it comes to our witness for Jesus. That's what the word tells us. It doesn't tell us where to live. It says, oh my word, wherever you live, be a witness for him. Tell of the beauty of the king. Do I worship God? 
The Bible's really concerned about our worship. Am I obedient? Am I doing what, am I trying to be like Christ? Am I showing hospitality and love to those around me? Those are the things the Bible is concerned about, right? Romans 12, can you put that verse up, please? couple of things. Romans 12, 1 through 2. Paul says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Number one, are you devoted to God? That's what that means. Are you devoted to him? That's what God cares about first and foremost. Are you devoted to him? Abraham was. This is what God's word says. Number two, don't be conformed to this world. Oh my word, if you get advice from this world, you're out of your mind. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You and I, as children of God, have the mind of Christ. Devote yourself to God. Don't follow the world. Have the mind of Christ. And then what does it say? By testing you may discern what is the will of God, which is good and acceptable and perfect. You've got to have those things first. And then you'll know what God's will is for your life. Go to the word of God. See what it, what it, what it, what it says. Where do you want to live? I want to live in a place, God, where you can use me. I want to live in a place where you can bless me. I want to live in a place where there's neighbors and I can invite them over. I want to show hospitality to them. I want to go mow their lawn, maybe, and care for them. I want a marriage that, that God, that we can show the love of Christ. All these things. This is what God is concerned about. In some ways, he doesn't care where you live. He doesn't care what job. He wants you. He wants you first. And then all those things will be added unto you. He does care about those things. Put him first. Know him. Be devoted to him. Have the mind of Christ. Put him first. That's what matters. All these other things will happen as well. Know God through his word. Prayer. Number two, prayer. First, the word of God. Second, prayer. All based on his word. All based on his love. Verse 12, it says, the prayer of the servant, this beautiful prayer, he says, please grant me success today. In the Hebrew, it says, God, make something happen. I'm here. I'm where the girls are. The camels are there. It's the right time. It's the right place. God, make something happen. Do you pray that prayer? Do you get up in the morning and lay in your bed and say, God, make something happen today? Do you drive into work? God, make something happen today. Behold, God, I'm at work. I'm getting my coffee. Send somebody to me. Make something happen. God will answer that prayer. Pray that prayer. God, make some, be dependent upon him. You gotta get, you gotta get out of bed to, to make something happen. He's not gonna make it happen in the bed probably. No one's gonna come walking in your house and come into your bedroom while you're laying there in your pajamas. You gotta get going. And that comes to the next thing. God, make something happen. You gotta have you got to have activity. you got to do something. you got to get out of bed. Great book, Kevin DeYoung, Just Do Something, A Liberating Approach to Finding God's Will. It came out about 10 years ago. Most helpful book I know. In the book, he, um, th- this is not a true obituary, but it's an obituary that he quotes. Man 91 dies waiting for the Lord. Tupelo, Mississippi, Walter Houston described by family members as a devoted Christian, died Monday after waiting 70 years for the Lord to give him clear direction about what to do with his life. He hung around the house and prayed a lot, but just never got that final confirmation, his wife Ruby says. Sometimes he thought he heard God's voice, then he wouldn't be sure, and he'd start the process all over. And he died in his chair. 
just do something. You got to get out of your bed. You got to get out of your chair. That's how God's going to use you. You may not know where you're going, but you're going somewhere. Pray that God would come in and use you and just go. Just do something. Okay. Word of God, prayer, activity, discussion. So much of this chapter is discussion. Counsel. The longest portion is narrative. Talking things out, sharing the details, asking in the end, is this from the Lord or not? This is what you do, my friends, at community group. One of the things you might do. Say, uh, hey, Cliff, so in the last couple of weeks, this is what God's been doing in my life, and I rehearse it. I did this, and I did that, and I did this. Cliff, do you think the Lord's in this? You get wise counsel. You go, this is why we're in fellowship together. One of the reasons. We get counsel from each other. We talk to each other. We get input. We rehearse the dialogue, detail by detail. And then in the end, what do you think, Benjamin? Is the Lord in, in this? What do you think, Michael? Is the Lord in this? What do you think, Sherry? Is the Lord in this? And we help each other. And we give each other counsel, and that helps us. Proverbs 12, 15. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 15, 22. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. And I could go on and on and give you 20 quotes from Proverbs all about you're foolish if you don't take it, and you're wise if you take counsel. That's why God has put these Christians in your life to help you make decisions. The word of God, prayer, try something, do some activity based upon God's revealed work, word. Talk to your Christian friends about it. That's how we determine God's will today for the most part. In my life, I had one big miracle. July of 1980, went to go uh, for a bike ride with a guy, motorcycle ride, my friend Duane, Duane. Duane was smarter than me, went into a corner, I looked down, we were racing, speedometer was 130. Went into the corner, big right hand up sweep corner. Halfway through I realized I wasn't going to make it. Had the bike leaned over, the foot peg was hitting And I look and I see there's a strip of grass, there's a bunch of granite stones, and there's a a cliff. What does physics say? I watched and I saw my front wheel touch the grass. And the next thing you know, I'm going up in the air and I'm flying. I don't know which end is up. And I land on the right side of the road. Physics says, no, I go out this way. Three months later, I got invited to a Bible study by a young lady, and I heard God's word, and I believed it, and I was saved that night. It was a miracle. God's hand was in that. Most other times in my life, it's not really that way. A year ago, I got a telephone call. Driving in my truck, I get a phone call. Hi, Eric. Yep. Uh, I'm a guy out in Colorado. I've got a job offer for you. Uh, we're, we're building a new rocket, and I want you to be the main guy. I've got a bunch of young people. You, I'm an aerospace guy by trade. You come out, and you lead us. How much you want? 200 bucks an hour, 250 You got it. You want a place to live? We'll put that up. You want your wife to come? No problem. You want to go back every month of Vermont? No problem. Whatever you want, you got it. Oh, my word. I couldn't wait to come in and tell you guys I'm going to be a rocket scientist. And for three days... Three days, I played it out in my head. And on day four, I woke up and I said, what am I doing? I'm not leaving here. 
God has put me in a place in my life that I've been the happiest I've ever been. I don't need that. I don't need the money. I don't need the prestige. I don't need to be a rocket science. Sometimes God, sometimes open doors will come. And it doesn't mean you've got to take them. And I prayed about it. I looked at the scripture. I asked a couple of friends, and it was so clear. Don't go there. What are you thinking? You dumbhead. Why would you even think about that for a second? That's how God works in our lives. Sometimes a miracle, sometimes even an open door that you've got to shut. And I could tell you more stories, but I won't. Last thing before we go. There's something else here in this story. You see, there's another big story in God's word. And it involves a father and a son and a servant and a bride. Same characters. But there's something different about this story. You see, Abraham said, don't take my son from me. I don't want him to go into that land. I want him to be here with me. Don't take him. But God the Father sent his son into this world to be our savior, to suffer and to die for our sin. He didn't withhold him. And when we... By the Holy Spirit, you see the servant, that's the Holy Spirit. Read it again, you'll see. Doesn't even name himself. He goes out. He ta- all he talks about is Isaac. The father's given all things into his hand, he says. And the Holy Spirit brings the gospel home to us. And we're saved. And we're transformed. And we're born again. And you know who you are? You're the bride. (laughs) You're the bride. And one day, we're going to hear the voice of the bridegroom that's going to say, come. And we're going to be brought into the Father's house, dressed in white, and we're going to celebrate. And we're going to be with him forever. Because God did not withhold his son. He sent him. That's the story. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for these ancient, ancient verses. We pray that you would help us, each of us, to know what to do with our lives. We know your hand is in it. We know that you love us. We know that you have a mission. Help us, Father to get out of bed and to do your will. And we do it for the sake of our Savior Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.